Good morning, everybody. So this is our 10th week now in our series on the Apostles' Creed. Uh, throughout the fall, we've been going through this ancient summary of the core beliefs of the Christian faith, taking it line by line and asking ourselves, what does it mean to confess this together, uh, this ancient summary that has been handed down through the centuries? So uh, I'm going to invite you, as we have all throughout this series, if you are willing and you are able to begin by standing up together and confessing the creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You can be seated. So you may have noticed that we're a little out of order if you saw what we're going to be talking about today. Today we're just doing one little line, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. And uh, there's a couple reasons why we've gotten out of order, which really aren't worth explaining, uh, but just know that we are going to go back uh, next week and look at what we missed this week, which is, uh, I believe, in the Holy Catholic Church and the communion of saints. I know some of you might be disappointed that we're not talking about that yet because you've probably wondered, as a non-denominational church, why do you say every week that you believe in the Holy Catholic Church? I know that makes some of you squirm, so, um, but we are going to talk about that. We're going to get to it, uh, but that's for next week. So, this week is, I believe, in the forgiveness of sins. Now, there's two ways to think about this line. One is that we are confessing, we believe that God can and is willing to forgive us of our sins. Right? That through Jesus Christ, forgiveness is extended to us. The other way of thinking about this line is that we are confessing that we believe that we are called to forgive one another's sins. So, which one is it? And you probably won't be surprised to hear me say that I think it's both. That when we confess this line, that is intended, and it's actually one of the reasons why it's a little cryptic, you know? It doesn't say, I believe in the forgiveness of sins by God, right? Or, and it also doesn't say, I believe that I'm called to forgive sins. It just says, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. When we confess this line, we declare together that we do not believe that a person's sins have to have the final word in their lives. Uh, we believe in forgiveness. And I, I think that in this time that we live in, where maybe quite a few people are quick to judge and cancel and, and that sort of thing, that the church should be the place where we say, no, 
We believe a person is more than the worst thing that they've done. We truly believe in the forgiveness of sins. Um, now last week, I think we covered pretty well this idea that God is willing to forgive us. Uh, when we looked at the line, uh, he will come to judge the living and the dead. Uh, we looked at the passage in Acts chapter 10, where Peter says to the crowd, Jesus is the one who will judge the living and the dead. But he didn't just leave it at that, right? The next thing he said was, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So we talked about how Jesus is both judge and the one who offers pardon. So I felt like we, we covered the forgiveness from God fairly well last week. So this week we're going to focus more on that other dimension of we believe in the forgiveness of sins as something that we are called to do to one another. And I, I want to begin by acknowledging something. Forgiveness is an extremely difficult topic. Because as soon as somebody says, hey, you're called to forgive, it raises all kinds of really difficult questions. You know, like, well, what if, what if saying that empowers an abuser to keep abusing, right? And if what, it, what if it puts a victim in a position where they feel like they're just required to accept abuse? Is that what we're saying when we say we believe in the forgiveness of sins? No, that's not what we're saying. We're also not saying that no one should ever have to take responsibility for their actions. We're not saying that sin doesn't matter or that sin doesn't have consequences. We're not saying anything like that. But we are acknowledging that as followers of Jesus, we are called to something radical when it comes to forgiveness. Something that, if we are honest, would make every one of us uncomfortable. <laughs> um, Jesus was once, well, more than once, but one particular time he was asked about forgiveness. Peter said to him, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, 77 times. Now I've heard that in those days, the rabbis would say, you, you should forgive your brother or sister up to three times. So when Jesus says up to seven times, he probably thought like he was, or sorry, when Peter says, ask Jesus up to seven times, he probably feels like he's being very generous, right? And he probably thinks that Jesus is gonna be like very, very good, Peter, that's very generous of you, right? But Jesus' answer kind of explodes this whole idea of keeping track of the number of times, right? Because clearly with Jesus' answer, 77 times, obviously he's not teaching us that we should be like, you know, oh, you're on number 75, so look out, you've got two more, right? Obviously that's not his intention here. In fact, some translations say that it, the, the accurate translation is not even 77 times, but 70 times seven, which I actually think is more likely. So that's actually 490 times. So that's even harder to keep track of, right? Oh, you're on 356, you have this many. Obviously Jesus is not telling us to think like that, right? He is calling us to a standard of forgiveness that is 
for that time and for now, radical. So, rather than getting all analytical about forgiveness, I thought a better way to address this line would be to have someone share who has a powerful story, testimony, that involves forgiveness. And so, I'd like to invite Dean up, because Dean definitely has that kind of story. So, uh, let's welcome him. switching all right good morning um, so uh, you know as Ryan said um, this is really not a sermon it's a testimony I'm just going to talk about you know what happened to me um, and so um, there's really like three aspects to it um, forgiveness and then God's presence uh, in times of need and then finally some lessons of the heart but before I, I talk about the testimony, um, you need to know uh, the backstory. <laughs> so I'm going to start with that. Um, <laughs> so uh, uh, a men's accountability group is a group of four, usually three or four men, sometimes a little more, uh, who get together. And the purpose of the group is to help the men be more godly. And as men are facing... Um, uh, difficult times in their life um, and that come from, you know, that could, could be rooted in addiction or lust or anger, uh, frustrations that they face just being in, in being a husband and a father and a provider. Um, it's a place where a man uh, commits to, be, to being totally honest. And this is a place where he invites other men to speak into his life uh, and to challenge him to do better, but also to pray for him and encourage him to overcome his weaknesses. So in these groups, men are encouraged to be as open and vulnerable as possible. And of course, it's, it's vital that everything that's shared within the group uh, stays strictly confidential. And so for about 10 years, I was involved in a group like that. And when a friend of mine, Jack, who I've known for 25 years, asked if he could join the group. And there were other groups for me at the time. And I said, well, why don't you just join one of the other groups that are for me? But Jack was like insistent. You know, he wanted, he wanted to be in. In, in the group with me, and it, it kind of made sense because we'd gone to each other's weddings and our families did a lot of stuff together, we knew each other. So I talked to the rest of the guys in the group, and even though we weren't really planning on expanding, um, we consulted together and we, we, uh, we said, okay, you know, Jack can join. That, that goes up to five guys, which is really, I would say, the upper limit because, you know, it takes time to share what's going on in, in your life during the week, and it, it can go on for a long time. Uh, so, anyway, we all had various challenges uh, in our marriage, and, you know, we'd pray for each other and, and you know, encourage each other to be generous and, and patient with our wives and our kids. Um, at, at that point, I'd been married about 20 years, and my wife, Jill, had a lot of PTSD from her childhood. She had an abusive childhood and it, it had caused a, a lot of um, damage, un understandably, but it really affected our marriage, especially our intimacy. You know, we were never unkind to each other, never raised our voices to each other, nothing like that. Um, I can honestly say I was very loving and kind to her, um, but really, no matter how much love I showed her, it, it never really seemed to stick. You know, I, I, I went through a lot of Bible studies. We, we went to a lot of Bible studies together on marriage, and I learned the lo her love language and things like that. 
and uh, really seemed for naught. But my brothers in accountability group, you know, they're encouraging me to continue uh, to love her. And, and, you know, the Bible tells us as, as men um, that we should love our wives uh, just as Christ loved the church and, and gave himself for us. So I believed it was my duty to um, sacrifice, you know, for, for my wife. So our, um, our accountability group went along well and it was great encouragement. Uh, after a couple of years, uh, Jack actually stopped coming to our group, so we're back to the original four of us. But unfortunately, my, my marriage, which had been, um, you know, stable, if not great, started to get continually worse. Um, my wife seemed to be, like, spiraling down along with our relationship. And I tried to be understanding, um, uh, uh, often, you know, when she was really struggling. And, and, and for long periods of time, uh, we had very little intimacy. But now, she seemed very remote and didn't want any of my affection uh, whatsoever. Um, so I wanted to be supportive of her, so I you know, agreed to just you know, stand back and wait. Um, and then she told me she wanted to get away to be on her own for a while, take a, a vacation. She homeschooled our kids. And it's a lot to be a, a full-time mom in, in homeschool. And so uh, she, she took a, wanted to take a week and, and go to Maryland to just be by the beach and, and you know, be on her own. Uh, but before she left, she told me that she didn't want to be with me anymore. And I asked her, you know, is there someone else? No, there's no one else. I just don't want to be with you which was obviously um, very painful to hear. So things continued to deteriorate, and then finally, a year later, Jill told me that she had been having an affair with Jack. Um, and apparently the reason that Jack had quit the accountability group was because um, he had begun this affair with my wife. And now she wanted to be with Jack. Um, obviously, this was a huge betrayal, both from my wife and also from uh, Jack, who I had placed a considerable amount of trust in, to say the least. You know, for two years prior to starting the affair, he had total access to me. He could ask questions about how my marriage was going and, you know, how he could pray for me, but to get a lot of, like, inside information. So it was very hard to accept. And it was a lot to take in, right? So I started out in denial, not believing that this was something serious. I, I told Jill, this is a pipe dream, you know. This is how you guys really going to, two professing Christians, you're going to tear apart two families. So I asked Jill to do three things. I said, please, you know, stop seeing Jack. Please stop lying to me. And uh, I want us to go to counseling together. And she said in response, I'll try to stop lying to you. <laughs> so, wow, right? So, so then I got to an anger phase when I, I told Jill how wrong I thought this all was. And she said that she felt very strongly that God was telling her that she needed to be with Jack. And I said, well, what if God told me that I should kill Jack? Should I, should I do that? <laughs> and, uh, you know, that was, it felt good to say it, right? But it wasn't my best moment. I was really, really angry. And I thought seriously about paying Jack a visit. Um, but he had, um, months earlier, he and his family had moved south, like over 10 hours away to another state. And so um, uh, that was a place where, as it turned out, Jill and he both wanted to go further south near the ocean where it's warmer. And also, as I found out, that state that he moved to had much more favorable divorce laws uh, for him. So any event, him being that far away stopped me from doing something I'd regret today or be in prison or something like that. So, uh, so anyway, that was all to set this, you know, the, the scene for my testimony, okay? So now, the first thing is forgiveness. Um, at this point, 
God really started to speak to me. Um, I would take long walks to think things through, maybe get a little energy out, right? Um, and one night, uh, my accountability group was going to be meeting about three or four miles away. And so um, I decided I'd walk there, just to you know, clear my mind. But you know, I had some time to pray before that, and God put a scripture in my heart, the one about the servant that was um, forgiven the 10,000 bags of gold, which is you know, billions of dollars today. Um, in case you don't know the story, it's, it's on the screen behind me. Wow, it's a pretty small font, and a little fuzzy too. So um, <laughs> well, let me just like sum it up. Right, there's a, there's a, a king and one of his servants, uh, he, he says, I'm going to take care of all my accounts. What's, you know, what's going on with my accountants? Right? And then he goes through his books and he finds that the servant owes him 10,000 bags of gold, you know, billions of dollars. And he calls a guy in. He goes, you got to pay me back. And the guy says, I can't pay you back. You know? so, so then he goes, all right, you and your family and your wife, everyone's, you're going to get tossed in prison until you pay me. And the guy breaks down, gets on his knees, begs him, I can't pay you back, please. You know, and he goes, okay. He goes, you know what, I forgive the debt. And, and the guy leaves. And then that same guy who just got forgiven goes out and then he sees a, a guy that he knows, a fellow servant that owes him like, you know, a hundred bucks. And he shakes the guy down and tosses him in prison because he can't pay him. And then when the king finds out that, you know, the other servants go to the king, tell him that happened. And when the king finds out what happened, he says, um, you know, he, he handed the guy over to the, to the jailers, right? And, and then he said, and so he could pay him back everything he owed and then he says at the end you know this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you if you don't forgive your brother from the heart right whoa <laughs> right that's like a threat from god right that's like really really serious it, it, so it's a solemn thing and i and i i took it seriously as i as i thought about it right so it's it's kind of petty for us not to forgive uh, others, right, uh, who have done wrong against us when you think about what God's forgiven us, right? So, I mean, for me to forgive Jill, I knew about her childhood and stuff. Honestly, it, it really wasn't that hard. But Jack, like, no way. And so I, as I set out on my walk, I, I said to God, God, I, I hear you. You want me to forgive him? Well, you got to show me the 10,000 bags of gold, <laughs> right? So, all right. So, so I, I started walking, and um, God... Uh, through the Holy Spirit, um, sorry, he showed me uh, all the ways that, um, excuse me, you know, all the times that I had lied, um, all the stuff I did when I was younger. Needless, uh, needless to say, by the end of the walk, it was like, you know, my whole life had flashed before my eyes, and, uh, and I, I understood that, um, that I really needed to forgive them both, but, you know, especially Jack. So right there I forgave him. No, not really. <laughs> right? Um, you know, right, right there I realized, though, that I absolutely had to. I absolutely had to. So, all right, deep breath. Um, so forgiveness is not easy. Um, when we forgive someone there's like a lot of energy there and we're sort of out of balance with the person and so we take all that on ourselves all that energy and stuff that's owed we carry that burden really that that other person owes so um you know recently i thought about it like this 
Imagine like the worst meal that someone could serve you. Not, it's not poison, it's not rotting or anything, right? But it's just like the worst possible meal uh, you could be fed. And, and for me, it's liver, right? It's, <laughs> liver is just gross, right? It smells gross. I, I can't get past the smell at all. And my mom grew up in, in a, on a farm in Canada where they, they eat liver and stuff. And the other thing that my uncles would eat was calves' brains, right? Which is also totally disgusting, right? So, so calf's brains and, and liver, like that's my disgusting meal. Totally, totally disgusting. Uh, like roasted mice, right? <laughs> uh, so whatever that horrible dish is uh, for you, imagine that you've been served a big whopping portion of it and it's sitting on a big plate in front of you and you have to eat it all. Forgiveness is the process of forcing yourself to eat it. Bite by bite, chewing each piece, swallowing down. It's horrible. It's disgusting. Uh, you got to brace yourself for it, and sometimes you feel like vomiting. But that's what you, you do, because when you're finally done, the food's gone, the plate is empty, you can sit up and leave the table, and you never have to eat that again, um, because you did it, you already ate it. If you refuse to forgive, that dish is always sitting there in front of you, like waiting for you, and you have no peace. But God gives us the grace to eat it, bite by bite, if we're willing to try. So have you ever uh, thought, well, you know, I know I'm supposed to forgive them, but I can't forgive them. What that person did is inexcusable. So C.S. Lewis addressed this. He said, you know, if you forgive someone who, who, who's done something and you see that there's an excuse for what they did, then you've really just excused them. And all you're being is fair. You're not, that's not anything like noble or Christian, you're just being fair. What we're called to as Christians is to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in us. So um, I'm going to come back to forgiveness briefly more at the end. But the next thing I want to talk about is uh, God's presence in times of need. So I already got emotional, not even the part I thought I was going to get emotional about, so look out. <laughs> um, so the, the second aspect of what I um, learned was how uh, present and close God is at times of need. Um, you know, it, during this time, uh, I felt very close to God. God would just show up in, in remarkable ways every day. You know, sometimes where you'll pray and then you'll read a scripture and it'll pop out. Like, that happened to me like every day. It was, on, it was actually scary sometimes how immediate and personal God was. Um, and I can't explain it. Uh, but during that time, I, I, you know, I really... Uh, want, I, was, I really wanted God to save my marriage I wanted, I, and my family. I was just, you know, so scared that it all get... Uh, torn apart, and I, I really, um, you know, want him to do it. I want a miracle, and um, I believed he could do it. I was begging him to do it. I never got any reassurance from God that he would uh, save my marriage. Um, you know, and, and, but during that time, there were times where I'd be praying, and the presence of God was so overpowering that all I felt like was joy. Everything went away. And it was just amazing. But at darker times, um, you might think, well, 
Yeah, I, I was kind of crazy back then, so it was probably just my imagination, right? So I believe that God uh, gave me um, some unmistakable miracles to, you know, help me know for sure that that, that was really him. So I'm going to talk about a couple of them. So uh, a couple weeks after my wife told me that, um, uh, that, she, you know, that she was having a favorite Jack, um, I, I woke up in the morning and like, boop, I had an idea. <laughs> and, and it was just like it was the first thing in my mind when I woke up. And I don't know where it came from. It, you know, it came from God. And it was like, oh, Jack needs to talk to Pastor Allen. Now, Pastor Allen uh, was our prior pastor, and he had left and moved away to California years before this. But he and Jack both were in the Navy, and they were, you know, they were pretty tight and stuff. And I thought, wow, if Pastor Allen could talk to Jack, maybe he could you know, get him to see you know, the right way and, you know, and maybe get him to repent and, and restore his uh, marriage and stuff. And so um, I called uh, Pastor Peter, who was sitting right here, who showed me a tremendous amount of kindness all during this time. And I said, what do you think? You know, does that make sense? And he goes, yeah, I think so. You know, maybe it came from God. You know, I'll get you uh, Pastor Allen's uh, contact information. So I said, great. So again, the first thing Saturday morning. Okay. Next thing is I, I had my quiet time. And uh, I uh, opened the, the, the Bible to the, the, the book of Hosea, which is like a small kind of obscure book, uh, the prophet Hosea. The prophet's wife is unfaithful to him, and God uses that unfaithfulness to show how God feels when Israel is it, worships other gods and is faithful to him. But anyway, going through that book, I came upon this verse, uh, Hosea 2.6, and it says, Therefore, I will block her path with thorn bushes, I'll wall her in so she cannot find her way. And I felt that God maybe was speaking to me through that particular verse. And it just jumped off the page at me, and I read it, reread it, reread it, and I ended up memorizing it, and I prayed on it, thought about it. So, you know, I wasn't sure what it meant, but it was clear that God wanted me to look at that verse. Okay, and then, the, so that's, you know, I got the idea about Alan, I got this verse. And the third thing was, when I do chores, sometimes I sing hymns. And there was a hymn, On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand, All of the Ground is Sinking Sand. And I didn't know all the verses, so I got out of the hymnal, and I started memorizing it while I did my chores. So I must have sung that song like 15 times. I was trying to get, get the words down. Okay, so, um, so that's, that's why I just talked about these three things. So what happened was I went to church the next day. So that was Saturday. On Sunday, I was a little late. I walk in. They're singing on Christ the Solid Rock. I said, well, that's pretty interesting. And then um, uh, Jack's sister, who also went to the church, had a message for me from Jack's wife. Now, I remember they moved like 10 hours away. And she gave it to me. It was just one verse, Hosea 2.6. And then the third thing was that they, the guys, they finished singing the song. The guy said, hey, we have a special visitor today. Pastor Allen is here from California. He hadn't been at the church for years, and he showed up that day. So I was like, you know, totally, totally blown away by that. And I believe that God gave me that miracle because I was just about to embark on a kind of a, uh, I mean, a very painful time. And so I think he wanted me to have that, like, assurance going into that. So a song that was really important to me at this time um, was Oceans. You know, we all at times have uh, trouble uh, trusting God, right? 
All of us do because, you know, it, and sometimes people have a little trust, sometimes people have a lot of trust, but everyone gets to a point where it really becomes difficult to trust God, I believe. And this song uh, has a, uh, the, the verse there at the bottom uh, where it says, you know, spirit, um, lead me, uh, you know, uh, lead me where my trust is without borders, let me walk upon the waters, uh, wherever you call me, take me deeper than my feet would ever wander, right? And all of us have uh, uh, things that comfort us, right? We have our possessions, we have our wealth or whatever, right? And, and um, this is a prayer, right? Asking God to take us beyond the stuff that we normally trust in. Out way beyond that, right? Where you're standing on the water. Well, you can't stand on the water, right? So you obviously are totally in a place that you have to trust God. And that's where God... Uh, brought me. Um, I was totally blown away. I didn't know, I never expected my marriage to end and I didn't know what was going on and I just had to trust in God. So I really didn't, I, I feel really that I didn't have any choice but to trust God, right? Above all, I want to save my family uh, from being torn apart. So I, I said, all right, God, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to do whatever um, I feel that you want me to do. So during this time, a lot of godly Loving, well-meaning people gave me terrible advice about <laughs> about what about what to do. Um, they, like people were so angry at what had happened with uh, you know people that knew Jack and, and knew Jill, and they were they were um, they, they wanted me to turn the screws on Jill, right? And I I did feel that from God that that's what God uh, wanted me to do. But they wanted to punish Jill, make her pay, and they wanted to expose them both and humiliate them. Um, but that's not what I sense from God. God wanted me to, me to be gentle. Truthful, yes, but, but gentle. And so he wanted me to support Jill as she contemplated what to do next. So Jill moved out of our house, and she got an apartment, but she didn't have a job, so I paid for the apartment. And people were saying, oh, I should do that. Um, so, and then as um, Jill stayed there, Jill got a part-time job, but she was still... Uh, homeschooling our kids, so I, you know, continued to support her in, in what she was doing. Uh, and then she finally went and saw a counselor, not with me, but at least on her own. Um, so, you know, during this time, I had lots of ups and downs. One time, uh, she asked me to go to the counselor with her, and she told me there that she had broken off with Jack. So, well, you know, wow, well, super hopeful, right? Um, but anyway, you know, maybe my, my marriage would be saved. Uh, ups and downs, right? Anyway, um, now, as we draw near the end of this time, it's the second miracle. So, 11 months after Jill told me about the uh, affair, on June 16th, 2015, I got my second miracle. Uh, Jill invited me to join her at the counselor, and there she told me that she had finally decided that she wanted to be with Jack, and uh, that uh, she was going to file for divorce, and, and that was it. And, uh, you know, I was... I was uh, Pretty upset, I was devastated really, and I uh, got on my motorcycle and I went to the coast where my sister has a beach house and I knew no one would be there and I just uh, wanted to be alone. So, um, I, uh, it was one of those days, it was raining off and on, it was windy, uh, I got to the beach, there was no one there, uh, it wasn't really a beach day, and there was a, a lady looking for shells with her young son and they were like down that way. And I, I got there, and I started walking towards this seawall, and I, was, I got really emotional, 
as I started talking to God. And I said, like, I did everything that you asked me to do. You know, how can this be the answer? Anyway, I said, I really need you to speak to me right now. And, uh, and you know, demanding of God, right? But, uh, uh, and then right then it started to rain on me. <laughs> and so I, uh, I thought of that song that we just sang, Immortal Invisible, is one of my favorite songs because there's a verse that says, uh, thy clouds, which are uh, fountains of goodness and love. And, you know, clouds are thought of as troubles, you know, and how, you know, troubles can be turned to good. So anyway, uh, sorry. Uh, so I often, I often sung that hymn. Uh, and so at this moment, it started to rain. You know, I said, God, you got to speak to me. It started to rain. I started singing more to visible. And I hear Lego. go, hey, look, wow. And... Uh, This is where I thought I get emotional. <laughs> uh, so I started to cry. And then I uh, sat on the seawall and I, I thank God. And then I. Uh, you know, I realized it's a double rainbow, and I just knew at that moment that everything was going to be okay. So I texted uh, Jill, and I told her you know, what happened, and that, you know, God loves us, and I told her that, you know, we're going to be okay. Anyway, um, oh, uh, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, that made you better. <laughs> okay, thank you. Uh, so anyway, um, I'm sorry, guys. I know how uncomfortable it is to watch someone who's getting emotional. So, anyway, uh, there was a profoundly... Um, wonderful moment and uh, it just God had shown me that you know everything was going to be okay so the third thing I want to talk about is, is lessons of the heart um, so as part of all this um, pain that I went through um, and the joy of things like I just experienced there um, God also started working on uh, my hardness of heart. And, uh, you know, there's this passage from Matthew where, uh, you know, um, Jesus says, you know, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye, you hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So this is kind of difficult to admit, but um, I was such an arrogant ass <laughs> that I used to think because I was saved that God had removed the plank out of my own eye. 
and that the veil had been lifted, and therefore I could see to remove the speck out of my brother's eye. Um, you know, I, I now know how wrong I was. You know, when, when, when Paul says that he is a chief of sinners, um, I believe it's because he knows that only God sees in our heart, right? And the heart is where all the sin originates. Um, so none of us can see in each other's hearts. I can see in my own heart, and I know how sinful I am. And for me to look at someone else who I can't see their heart and, and think that somehow they're more sinful than me, it's, it's just not possible, no way. So, um, we, you know, the God really showed this uh, to me. And he made me very aware of the pain of the people around me. Um, uh, I had this breakthrough where I felt all of a sudden I was like way more compassionate and empathetic to other people. And I told my friends about it and they are like, well, you're already a compassionate guy. And they didn't really get it, but it was just like, it was a completely different um, thing that I was feeling and seeing. Um, and I thought, and really uh, with pain, I thought about how little I really cared about others before and how dismissive I was towards those I didn't understand. You know, for... Um, I used to judge people who got divorced. I was thinking, God hates divorce. So if you got divorced, you, you just didn't really hard, try hard enough, you know. And, and um, if, if you tried, you really would have made it work. Um, and, you know, anyway, those little things like that that I would believe in my heart, which are very uh, hard-hearted things to think. Um, after, you know, uh, after... Uh, my marriage had ended. I met uh, Kathy at work uh, to discuss a project. And I had known Kathy uh, for years, but like we would, every once in a while, we'd be in a meeting together. Apparently, one time at lunch, she had seen me say grace quietly over from my food, so she knew I was a Christian. And when we met that day for coffee to discuss the project, she saw that I wasn't wearing my wedding ring. And so later, she reached out with an email just to say that she was praying for me. And that started a friendship that turned into a romance. That turned into a fabulous marriage, and I, you know, I am, you know, yeah. So it's one in a million, and it keeps getting better. Um, early on in our relationship, this is kind of funny story. When we first started dating, we saw some folks in that were from my neighborhood where I had lived with Jill for like 20 years, and uh, you know, we were just talking, and when they found out that uh, I was seeing Kathy you could see that the gears were turning and they like figured out that I had met Kathy at work and had an affair and Kathy was a homewrecker and that I was a louse. <laughs> and it was very funny to see. And, and we, we, we laughed about it because it was kind of ironic, right? But, um, you know, that, that you know, we, I, but I also know that I have made similar assumptions and have been uh, harsh with my judgment. Um, you know, I remember, like, they used to say, oh, hey, you shouldn't hang around with divorced people because it'll increase the odds of you getting divorced. You know, and I actually believed that. And I noticed at church that there were certain people who were kind of, like, avoiding me. You know, so you, it's, until you're on the other side, you know, sometimes it's, it's hard to, to see those things, you know. Um, and I just started to realize how little I knew about everything. I, I was like, I don't know anything. And that's really how I felt. Um, and especially about the struggles that other people are going through. You know, you're in a room this size, there's, there's someone who's going through a terrible struggle. They may not be talking about it, guys, but there's people struggling right now. Um, and so they need, you know, uh, our compassion and care, not, you know, my haughty judgment condemnation. You know, I just want to, you know, let people know how much God loves them. And I want to be there for them. So last thing, going back to forgiveness. Um, 
you know, shortly after I met Kathy, my son Josh was playing out at the Hungry Tiger. He plays music. And uh, so I went to see him. He invited me to see him. Kathy and I went there. And when I got there, Jill was there with Jack. And I was like, there's no way Jack should be here. I felt like he was, that was completely inappropriate for him to be there. And I was really, really angry. And so afterwards, Kathy, uh, you know, kind of talked to me about um, forgiveness and the process and how, you know, it, it helped me understand how much it's going to take for me to forgive, uh, forgive Jack. And, you know, um, Kathy has gone through some seriously challenging situations uh, in her own life uh, that she had to forgive. And, and she, she had a lot of good counsel for me. Um, she kept encouraging me to forgive and kept showing me all the benefits of how her own journey of forgiveness had brought peace and blessing into her life, you know. And so that a few months after that, that was in the fall, and at uh, uh, Christmas time, uh, uh, Jack was up, and I saw him in the parking lot, and I went over and I shook his hand, and I wished him Merry Christmas, and I was, I was really very warm to him. And, uh, and since that time, I've encouraged my kids to forgive him, and it's led to um, a lot of healing and peace in our family. And now whenever I see Jack and Jill, I give them a big hug, and, um, you know, it, 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 it's, uh, it was indispensable for me to have, like, a role model like Kathy to show me the way of forgiveness um, and has brought tremendous blessing and peace and uh, really strengthened our family. So, so it's, been a, <laughs> it's been a strange journey to get uh, where I am today. Um, I can tell you that God was, you know, with me through it all and uh, in amazing ways. And he taught me about forgiveness and, uh, and the absolute joy of his presence, even in difficult times, and also about humility and compassion uh, for my fellow travelers on this crazy adventure. So thank you for bearing with me and hearing my testimony, and I hope it was an encouragement to you. So let's pray. Uh, God, we do thank you for your presence with us now and uh, also in the hour of our need and how much you love us and how much you have forgiven us. And I pray, Lord, that these uh, words of my lips and meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you and would be encouragement to my brothers and sisters. We thank you for all the ways you bless us. In Jesus' name, amen.